One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed, and this particular episode of the Force Center podcast feed is a deep dive. We're going to deep dive into Luke Skywalker's appearance in The Mandalorian. It is a place I'm happy to dive. I am Joseph Scripshaw. I'm Ken Napsock, and we are going to take a look at something that uh, sparked some discussions, some controversies. It sparked Star Wars, is what it did. I can't wait to dive in, Joseph. Yeah, some uh, some places on the internet, it's a war in the stars. Here on Force Center, it'll be a nuanced discussion in the stars. 
That's our our new franchise we're starting. Star Nuanced Discussion. <laughs> that's a that's an event you can go to during non-pandemic times at the Starlight Bowl in Burbank. A nuanced <laughs> night in the stars. Burbank Choir and, and Orchestra. Yeah, when you say it that way, it scares me. I don't want to go. That's I don't I feel like I'm going to be given a pamphlet for something. I don't I'm not sure about that. Uh, but I'm very happy to have our nuanced uh, discussions here on Four Center, and it's such a juicy, interesting topic. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, but first, we want to tell you, as always, that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash Center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. We are recommending a book that came out on the journey to The Last Jedi, it is called The Legends of Luke Skywalker. It's this great book that has a lot of different perspectives on how different people in the galaxy uh, thought they saw Jedi Knight, Jedi Master, Luke Skywalker. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. And Kent, we have another uh, book thing to promote, right? We do. We're not done giving away savings, friends. All right. No, actually, we're really actually happy to work with Inside Editions, publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books, Secrets of the Jedi, The Lightsaber Collection, Galaxy's Edge Cookbook. They are offering 35% off across their website with a special Force Center code. This excludes collectibles, limited edition products, and already discounted products. But there are a ton of great Star Wars books to grab. The offer lasts until Friday, January 8th at midnight Pacific time. To get your discount, enter the coupon code FC35, FC35, or visit the website with this link, insideditions.com slash discount slash FC35. So uh, go FC35 your way. <laughs> Just some holiday joy and savings. My radio background coming into play here as i made the joke on tuesday i'll do it again sports and weather coming up thanks dad <laughs> all right uh the good stuff for the business out of the way joseph uh take it from here this is uh, gonna be a fun one yep next up we've got comfort eagle by cake no um <laughs> <laughs> ninth collar gets tickets to the passerola's mid-state fair 1-800-549 bear uh, someday we should just do an episode of, of uh, Forest Center as though it's a radio show from 1997. Oh, we're we're speculating about early rumors about the Phantom oh, Menace while spinning some platters. We're uh, non-related. Uh, so that was our number. 1-800-549-BEAR. B-E-A-R was the number to call in and request our radio station. I, a couple years into my job, met someone. I go, oh, I work over at K-Bear. He started shivering. He goes, my phone number is one number off from that. <laughs> I get calls all day and night, and this is 95, so you don't have cell phones and silences and all this stuff. My phone rings at 3 in the morning, people requesting Ted Nugent. I hate you guys. <laughs> that sounds like an actual nightmare. You wake up and like, it's Ted Nugent there. I, I, I need Ted Nugent. <laughs> radio stories. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, Joseph. We'll do Star Wars radio spinning the hits from the galaxy far far away but for now we're gonna talk about something that is a very of this moment it is luke skywalker's opinion uh, opinion appearance in the mandalorian i got ahead of myself uh, because i'm thinking about opinions there's a lot of opinions about luke skywalker's appearance in uh, the mandalorian uh, there's a pretty critical article on vulture looking at not just that moment but how it kind of sits in the larger uh, future of star wars storytelling what it means for a show that started off with that 
kind of a idea that Mandalorian is uh, this small tale of this nameless bounty hunter, but pretty soon here, here's Luke Skywalker. Um, there have been uh, different threads where people have been working through their feelings and lots of fun and thoughtful ways about the connection between Luke's appearance in The Mandalorian versus his appearance in uh, The Last Jedi. So all sorts of uh, fun discussion, sometimes heated, sometimes friendly, but there's so much here in this appearance that is interesting to discuss from what it means for the story, what it means for the larger Star Wars galaxy, and then the real real world stuff of what it means for the franchise storytelling of Star Wars in our real world. So Ken, I just want to start with an overview. After you've had some time to sit with it, what is your big picture feeling about Luke's appearance in The Mandalorian? Do you love it, like it, mixed? Where are you at? I absolutely think I, I love it. And, and with, with I don't want to say any caveats, I, I you know, there's some great discussions obviously around it. That's why we're having this episode, but I, I watched it. I hadn't watched it since it aired and you and I watch episodes two or three times before we get on Mandalorian report or any, any show to discuss them. So I'd seen it a few times. Uh, it didn't. Uh, it's an episode that I'd say is tough to watch if you've experienced loss recently. <laughs> uh, so we didn't watch it, uh, but I watched it in research for this and just feel as though it's right. It's right for the timeline. Um, and it's right for the story, and it made a lot of sense to me. Uh, is it melodramatic? Yes. Is it feel full of hubris? Yes. Is there a little bit of long, drawn-out tension where even sometimes the editing is not my favorite? Yes. But I really love the moment. I really think I do, and it fits well into the Luke Skywalker story. Yeah, I think that's where I, I am coming at it as well. You know, we had such a fun explosion of, you know, I, I couldn't believe it the night I watched it, uh, that they that they really did it. Uh, and then I, you know, watched it a couple more times. You and I recorded Mandalorian. Then we had the great uh, video that we did with uh, Star Wars, the live stream we did with uh, Star Wars Explained, Alex and Molly. And that was great. And then I just sort of exhaled. <laughs> uh, and then I rewatched it just, you know, uh, just today, honestly, as we were getting ready to record and it was so great to just step back and just see it with fresh eyes again. And I came to the the same conclusion. I think it is just such great Star Wars storytelling. It Everything in it feels right for the character of Luke. It feels right for Grogu. It feels right for Din. It feels right for the other characters on the bridge reacting to it. I think it is a statement about who Luke Skywalker is at that exact time, about how the Jedi are perceived in the galaxy. And it, it's just, it's really rich and satisfying Star Wars storytelling. And yeah, then at, at the same time, that's like my big picture feeling that overrides everything. But then within that, they're like, oh, yeah, I could nitpick about what if the what if the force force push there was at this angle <laughs> or, or yeah, the CGI to me looks great. If uh, you look at his eyes, there's some lip stuff going on. You can get into all that nitpicky stuff. And I think there are valid real world things to discuss um, about how often Star Wars storytelling does reconnect back to the big characters and the big themes uh, or, or big storytelling moments. Rather, the themes I think they should connect to all the time. Uh, but those are all, you know, the, I, nitpicky is not quite the right word because they don't, they do matter, but those things aren't as important to me as when I just take that big step back, it just feels right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I also wanted to be sure to give you an opportunity to, uh, air any CGI thoughts that you need to. <laughs> 
<laughs> and now it's like Festivus. We come for the airing of grievances about CGI. Uh, no, it's fine. And, and again, I, I said before, where you watch it is is a big thing in fandom nowadays. I mean, I, I keep going to the Game of Thrones example, the Solo example. It is just what it is. Settings on TVs, or you watch it on your phone, or you watching it on uh, on your laptop. The great Portlandia joke, <laughs> where they're like, you know, music as it was intended to listen to to be listened to on your MacBook. Uh, it's uh, it's a weird thing. Um, I, I watched it, uh, on my MacBook this morning and, and, and it looks fine. Uh, it's, I agree with you. Look at the eyes, concentrate on the eyes and you'll be okay. And I've, I've also already seen people, uh, well, maybe I think they, maybe they fixed it already. I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Um, and maybe they will. And I'd be okay with they, they, um, they did once, once it wears off. And this goes through Leia and Rogue One, uh, which is still one that doesn't work for me in terms of just how it looks, but it worked for me in the story. And I think over time, you're just able to concentrate on the story. At least I, I, I like to think I can and others uh, like you uh, uh, do as well, where it's just like Leia being there saying hope. It means more to me than it looking a little wonky. Um, uh, I think we'll be OK. I also saw some stuff, I, you know, not the place to maybe fully address it, but, you know, deep fake stuff going around. And and uh, some people asking, why couldn't deep deep fake looks better? Well, how come Lucasfilm couldn't match that? And I don't know the hundred percent answers on that. I will tell you. I wonder if there's some uh, union stuff, SAG stuff. Uh, there's some developing issues with deep fake, a deep fake, and what it could mean, and how much of the actor's face. I don't know all the answers. I'm not saying I I, I know this, but I just don't think you can factor that in. Uh, deep fake is a is a new thing, and it's at times a scary thing. It's at times a, an amazing, breathtaking thing. But uh, just look at the lawsuit with Crispin Glover and Back to the Future Two, where there's a lot of things about actors, images, and union rules, and all those kind of things that I don't fully understand. And I just think that might have a factor in some of it as well. I'm not an expert there, though. Um, so, anyways, that's off my chest, Joseph. Uh, as of today, I'm like, cool. It's Luke. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the way I felt as well, that it's just it's less distracting every time I watch it. It's just the reality of what it is. Uh, and I guess for me, th this was such a moment because it was, you know, Tarkin was like, "Ooh, he's in the window. Cool. So that's the way they're going to handle this. And then it's a surprise to, you know, everyone in the theater who didn't have that spoiled of, oh, wow, no, they're doing this. This was such a different appearance where, like I've said before, I love how they build up the iconography of Luke Skywalker. It's one X-Wing. You know, the people on the bridge doesn't don't know what that means, but we do. Then we see the cloak. Then we see the blade without color. Then we see the green blade, and it builds, and it builds, it builds. And it, the first time you're watching it, it makes you ask. It, it does take you potentially out of the story because it makes you ask, how are they going to do it? Because, they, you know, yeah. you know it's not going to be magically uh mark hamill plucked out of uh time uh mm. and so i think the first couple times you view it your focus is on the can be and it wasn't for everyone but it can be on the technological aspect of it and that for me is just fading and fading and uh you know the way i i watched star wars for years before uh we had a podcast and before you know you could read hundreds of opinions on social media you know coming at it from all sorts of different angles I just watched the movies and there were parts that I loved and there were parts that I thought were flawed or, you know, mm. looked weird, you know, or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, I can tell that there's I, I can see that line around that ship nowadays. That that was great back in the day. But now it looked like and it wasn't like a stop, <laughs> you know, need need to find out who failed, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, and it's just 
it's it's just a story and it's technology and you roll with it so you you can experience uh, the big picture story. And and I was delighted to kind of already be at that point with it of mm. when I wa- rewatched it this morning, it was just like, yeah, no, that's how they accomplished it. Better, worse, whatever kind of doesn't matter. It, it, it is what it is. And that's how they chose to accomplish it. I think all of your thoughts on, we don't know everything that goes into the decisions, but you know, it, it's a team of extremely uh, qualified people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, doing cutting edge technology, which is a tradition of Lucasfilm. So if they made uh, choices the way they did, I'm sure eventually we're going to get to hear about it. And I think that there's probably really great reasons why they made those uh, choices. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we are going to move on to some of the ideas uh, that go into the storytelling itself. So I want to start here, Ken. What do you think of Luke's choice to answer Grogu's call. Is he being a good Jedi or is this uh, one of our favorite words here on Force Center? Is this hubris? Which way do you see it? Is this a Luke being a noble Jedi or is this Luke performing an act of hubris? Yeah, oh, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful word. And, and, and also keeping with the Force Center discussions, there might be a lot of, hey, we'll maybe discuss that a little bit later, but I'm pulling in some of the stuff. So this is one of those two. Yeah, I think I think he's being a, a good Jedi. I think this is part of his purpose. I think this is what he was tasked with in a lot of ways. And again, he answered a call, and that's something we will certainly focus on a lot here. Uh, he, to our knowledge, was not just bebopping around the galaxy um, looking f- to take uh, younglings for training. That might have been part of what he was doing, but you know what I mean? Like He wasn't like, he didn't just show up and go, well, what do we have here? Yoink. This was a call and he answered it and he answered it in keeping with what I believe is one of his larger uh, purposes in life right now at this point in his life. So I like the call. I think it's the right call. We can answer some of the details of that in here a bit, but that's where I'll start. Yeah. Luke Skywalker, pretty darn good Jedi. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there is a lot of discussion about comparing and contrasting uh, Luke in The Last Jedi. And and I think there should be even more uh, comparing and contrasting of him in Rise of Skywalker, which we'll talk about as well. And I think that's all really, really valid. I think there's some great stuff here uh, comparing how Luke felt he had made mistakes with what we see in The Mandalorian. Uh, But I just go to the idea that were ideas that were set up in the Mandalorian that, uh, you know, Mando presented Grogu to Ahsoka going like, I'm on a quest, take him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ahsoka had, you know, some concerns that are well-founded in the story of star Wars that taking a, a child away from their parent, uh, when they're, when the child is already feeling uh, fearful of losing that parent, it, it can be dangerous but it, even Ahsoka says, I don't think this is right for me right now, but you could take him here. And if Grogu chooses to call, maybe a Jedi will come. So even Ahsoka, to, to my reading of it, is not saying he shouldn't be trained. She's saying, mm-hmm. I don't, I think it's dangerous. I don't think I'm in the place to do it. But if the child still truly wants it this is a way to find out if he truly wants that uh so that's the way he's set up for the call at all and then from luke's perspective of a traumatized child calls out for help yeah of course he shows up um 
we're going to talk about the the hallway and the violence and the the symbolism mm-hmm. of all that. But that's for me just that real starting place of I do think there's some elements of uh, of what will become hubris, what will become a legend that is that is a lot of weight uh, for the human Luke Skywalker to bear. I think there is some of that uh, in this scene that connects beautifully to Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. But I think just the basic I answered a call for help is really, really powerful. I think one of the big uh, sort of uh, moral ideas in Star Wars that's very important to me, which I see playing out in Luke's story a ton, is, you know, this idea of action versus inaction. When is it moral to raise the blade in defense? When is it moral to just throw the blade aside? I think that's so key in in uh, Last Jedi in particular of that he comes around to the idea that I thought I was going to cause more harm by doing anything, mm-hmm. but I've been reawakened by Ray and Leia and Yoda, and I realize that you do need to take action in certain situations. And the question is, the, the incredibly difficult path of the Jedi is, when is it right to take action and when is it right to stand back? And when are you doing even more harm by not helping? And I think, I don't think there's any, any reason for Luke to not answer this call in this, when you look at it through this sort of a paradigm of action versus inaction, I don't see anything noble in saying a child called out requesting my help. And I said, no, just in case something might go wrong. Right. That to me is a kind of fear, the kind of fear that I think he's talking about in Rise of Skywalker of giving into of any action I take might be bad, so I can't do it. Uh, so, so that's where I go with that is, is that it is absolutely a, a great Jedi action <laughs> to answer an individual's call for help. Yeah, kind of part of the general purpose, uh, you know, and, and what they're there for. Guardians of peace and justice in, galax- in the galaxy. It's, it's part of what I, I believe the uh, job description is. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll get into some of the other murky depths here of uh, other ways to look at it. Uh, In particular, this is going around a lot uh, from just the fun visual aspect to the actual moral ideas behind it. Do you think the comparison between the Vader hallway scene in Rogue One uh, with Luke's hallway scene of cutting through the dark troopers, do you think that was intentional uh, by the Mandalorian team to draw those two ideas visually together, those two parts of Star Wars storytelling together. And if it is intentional, uh, what do you draw from that? Well, (laughs) that was a bizarre meme to be spread around for me. Um, There's a lot of great shots, the two side-by-side shots, or even some cases the video clip or or a GIF, uh, and and, uh, everyone sharing the, I am a Jedi like my father before me. I am like, Wow, you your definition of Jedi uh, is a little different than mine. Uh, <laughs> Lord, hacking away at those trying to reestablish peace and justice in the galaxy, a little different. However, uh, I know Jet Lucas is some stuff out there about yeah, yeah, yeah I, cu- I cut this side by side. Look at this, and 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 I think it could be intentional. And we haven't uh, gotten the details yet of that. I think it could be intentional, but if it is, or uh, to my knowledge right now, even if it isn't. What I draw from it, and, and this is, this episode's a lot about you and I just discussing what we pull from this. I I go to this anger, fear, aggression. The dark side are they? Have you ever sat next to your father and go, "Oh my God, I sit like him"? 
My grandfather, before he passed, was shuffling down the hall and I went, on days my back hurts, I walk like that. <laughs> oh my, whether you want to or not, kids, you become them. <laughs> and there's a, an image of, of, of always this possible possible path for Luke. Now, I think in this moment, I think he was centered. I think he was focused. I think he was, despite the video game kind of feel of that, uh, what you call it, Luke's hallway of salvation? Um, I, I, I think I think he was right in all that. But I, I think it, to me, I just take it as a reminder of this is always dancing beneath the surface of all of us, but particularly the son of Skywalker. You walk like your father. You talk like your father. You have the ability to get mad. I sometimes have a little temper. Again, to pull in my life, I sometimes have a little temper at technological stuff. Like a lot of people, I'll scream, shout, and I'll say say a curse word. Uh, my mom one day was like, your father, he just goes in his garage. He just screams and shouts and says curse words at tech stuff. I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, I see. I took it as that. If you want to draw any comparison, that's what I, that's where I go. A okay. reminder. So you are an MFing uh, Jedi like your father before you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I take what you mean. I think that there is great, uh, there's great fun in stripping away the the legend of it all and the dark side light side and just like yeah no they're they're related <laughs> you know yeah. and in in the way that they move and and in the way that they uh, are drawn to the light but have this common skywalker trait of uh impatience and uh just glowing hearts of compassion and what that that the risk of that level of compassion can be i, I think that storytelling is for me, the most powerful connection between uh, the prequel and the original trilogy of of Luke finding a way to truly make compassion and attachment a, a strength uh, rather than that fear of losing that connection that that dooms Anakin. Uh, but for the hallway scene, I think I you know I don't know if it's intentional because there it it absolutely could be intentional, uh, but it could also be like there are a lot of hallways in Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and it might just be a fun thing. Like I think, you know, in Clone Wars uh, season seven, uh, Maul's got a, a great uh, hallway fight scene, right? Mm -hmm. um, right? I think the scene that really pops for me, the, the framing is the end of Luke's hallway fight scene. There's, you know, smoke, he's in the shadows, he's an unknown figure, and just that blade is glowing. That does feel like it, a little intentional to the beginning of Vader's hallway scene. Um, right. And I'm really interested in the idea that those, that these scenes are, are whether intentional or not are mirrors of one another. Um, I totally get from just like a, a fun, they have similar fight styles, you know, yeah. I'm a Jedi like my father before me. Here's, here's Anakin as Vader fighting down the hallway. Here's Luke. And, and just like the tactics and the movement. And like, I get that comparison of just for fun. I'm a Jedi like my father before me. Obviously, Vader is not at all a Jedi <laughs> yeah. in the hallway scene in Rogue One. And I feel like that's what actually makes this comparison powerful, that Vader is slaughtering people to get those Death Star plans to just cement his control and his oppression over the galaxy. So you have their intent. Uh, then you have Luke saying, uh, these are dark troopers these are automatons made for death who are trying to uh attack and control a innocent child who called out for my help so uh i will i feel morally okay about cutting through them 
to get to the child to protect him. So you've got super different motivations. But then I think the thing that makes it really interesting to me is the images that are the most similar. The, you know, dark silhouetted figure with the glowing blade are reversed. That's Vader's at the beginning when they're like this, oh, this terrifying figure. What is that? It's unstoppable. Here comes death. And that's Luke's picture at the end of cutting through the dark troopers. But in a really fascinating way, we get a similar reaction from the characters on the that bridge when they've watched this dark figure for unknown reasons to them, except for maybe Din, maybe Bo-Katan, but for generally unknown reasons, just massively, powerfully, impressively slice through these robots that are going to kill them all. Yeah. And for everybody on that bridge, when they're seeing that silhouette of Luke with that glowing blade, they have a moment of feeling like the rebel troopers who see Vader at the beginning of his hallway scene of, don't open the door, <laughs> don't let that guy in. That that powerful guy might be death. And I feel like that's what really makes these scenes have this great interesting rhythm with one another of you can totally understand how from Casca Reeves or, or Cara Dune's perspective, like don't open the door. That guy is incredibly powerful and we don't know what he wants of us. Is he going to come in here and slaughter us? And then the total opposite. The blade is deignited. He steps into the light. The hood comes off. He's calm and kind, and he is not Vader at all. And and I think drawing that comparison, that power by itself is frightening, but it's mm-hmm. the intention of how you use that power. And when those rebel troopers see that silhouette of Vader, they are right to be terrified because that's how he chooses to use his power. And in that moment where our characters on the bridge are terrified of Luke, they find out they're wrong because that's not how Luke chooses to use his power. Mm. In terms of Star Wars poetry, uh, the the beginning is not the end, but it's the same. It's the same. Uh, the same poem we're reading here. I, I like that take on it. Yeah, uh, I like that take. It, it, it is a journey. And again, even some of the stuff I'm saying, it's 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 uh, in terms of reminders. It's not that the certainly not the joy for the scene is not wrong. If anyone's experiencing that, but yeah. Uh, that it's not a it's not necessarily one to one like uh, is what I think you, I'm hearing you say there too is just there's a lot uh, to learn from uh, looking at the first scene and, and 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 where it ends up with Luke I like that yeah I mean I think uh, the the simple way to try to say uh, <laughs> what I've been saying is if it is a comparison then you want to make the comparison is uh, power is its own thing but how you choose to use it is what makes a difference. And that is just a huge contrast between those two things. Vader is to be feared. Luke isn't really to be feared because he it doesn't want to hurt anyone. Right. Unless you're Moff Gideon. But. <laughs> Unless you're Moff Gideon, but he, he, he leaves him alone. So we'll see about even, that. Yeah, even then. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that. Uh, yeah. And certainly Moff Gideon has some, has some fear of Luke. Uh, so uh, let's talk about the sort of power fantasy of it. This was one of the things discussed in that Vulture article. Um, and there are certainly people who are just like really happy to see a uh, Luke Skywalker kick ass uh, on some level. I am too. I'm happy to see him, uh, you know, ignite that blade and, uh, and fight to save that child. Uh, but what to you is both the danger and the benefit of just getting really excited about the power fantasy of a lightsaber and a fully unleashed Jedi Knight using their power. What's good to you about that? And what's bad to you about that? 
look, I, I I'm there for it too. I, the, Luke on the sail barge is a key moment in my Star Wars fandom. I've talked about that. I've written about that. That is that is Luke, uh, you know, kicking ass. Absolutely. Uh, taking on an entire organization by himself. And, and that's part of the Star Wars fun. So I think you can live with it on that level too. But I just think inside the Star Wars story, I, I look for this. Uh, you and I have discussed this uh, from a certain point of view. The cave, the Dagobah cave of, of Luke looking for a reason to use it it being the blade, I think that can, that can sometimes spill over into how we take this in. And, and I, I want to ask, uh, why do you want to see the lightsabers? Uh, and, and this is go, even kind of going back to the, I am a Jedi, like my father before me meme that you and I were just discussing. Uh, it, it, like you said, is an example of the, the darkness that can be at Luke's fingertips, but at anyone's fingertips with these lightsaber uh you know like power is unlimited you said the dangers of power and that's always a dangerous thing if you're not fully understanding or wanting to engage what is at stake in the bigger fights the lightsaber fights it might be cool what are the themes there why are you fighting again uh these characters looking for a reason to use it luke was not looking for a reason to use it he would have gladly walked on there and had the droids just wave as he walked on by getting him that choice um you you chop off one speeder bike uh front and you chop a speeder bike in in two and kind of the will to see that grows the will just to see lightsaber followed by destruction grows and that sometimes to me i'm going deep here on a moment where you could just enjoy it by the way <laughs> Be like, yeah, he's kicking ass because I am too. But I wanted to analyze it. I, I just think uh, you need to constantly ask yourself, why would the characters, why do you want the characters to use it? Because the characters, if they're true to the characters, if they're true to the Jedi, why are going to be asking them this? I'll wrap up my thoughts here. Uh, pitch it back to you. You and I are just starting to dabble into Light of the Jedi, the first book from the High Republic. So no, even though the in review embargo's up, no spoilers for those who've read it, but there's a character, uh, Bell Zetifar, who's a Padawan, uh, who has some great observations of a lightsaber, of what it looks. And I'm totally paraphrasing, but just, it, it, it's a weapon, but it serves as a warning, as well as a weapon. Like, just the ignition, ignition of it and the color of it, it's like saying, please stop, please stop. <laughs> And the weapon itself, not it's not clumsy and random, right? That's what we hear about blasters. It's used for precision, that even if it has to cut your limb off, it might cauterize the wound uh, and give you a chance to maybe survive and redeem yourself down the line. Darth Maul, we're looking at you. And, and if you do die, maybe it's a quick death. It's not as messy. It's not as uh, brutal. Uh, and so that's part of the elegance there. There's maybe even a sympathy for the victim, victims, even in death, a brutal compassion, if you will. All that, all that to me is what I take out of lightsaber action now. I didn't know. Sometimes it was just me on a playground going zoom, zoom, zoom and chopping people in two. I want to know why. Why do you want to see the lightsabers? Yeah. Oh, a lot of great thoughts. And, and I agree with you. There's so many great um, lightsaber enforced thoughts. And I am only 80 pages into Light of the Jedi. So I'm looking forward to digging into that even more. But I, I think you've got a lot of great thoughts here. Um I think there's just the Star Wars is an action adventure fantasy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, enjoying it is an action adventure fantasy. I think, it, yeah, it just, it, you know, it, it is, it's built on uh, Saturday morning uh, serials and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, Saturday afternoon serials uh, and, and pulp and genre. And it's, it's a, a cool guy with a laser sword. Got it. Um, but, I think if you really say like, 
I am a Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars. I love engaging with Star Wars. I think if you stop at kicking ass, if you stop at saying, I always wanted to see Luke kick ass and I'm so glad he just kicked ass and, you know, tore those robots apart. I think that there is a danger that you won't be open to the bigger ideas of Star Wars. Um, Mm -hmm. Does that distinction make sense of, you know, it's one thing to just, you watch it and that was cool. And, and, you know, the fantasy we all had as kids and you make any cylindrical object we find into a lightsaber and make the voom, voom, voom noises. It's the fantasy. It's great. But when you get into sort of the power fantasy of it, and if you're like, I love that scene, this is what Luke Skywalker should be. He should kick ass and stop there. I think there's a risk of, of missing the larger ideas in Star Wars. Yeah, again, we're getting, you know, it's not necessarily how everyone takes it there, but, you know, you burn one person with a dragon, next thing you know, it seems uh, pretty easy to keep doing it and rooting for it, and that's a fair question to ask, and that's something that we're talking about Luke, and this, to me, relates to Luke and the Last Jedi, why he wouldn't do it, why, um, there's many reasons to that we're going to get into, but, you know, this is this is part of it. Uh, I go to the Battlefront 2 scene is so key for a reason, and I mention it every time, blah, 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 because it addresses the, yes, you are playing a video game where you are cutting stormtroopers down. We are going to ask you to examine that. Uh, if you believe in Jedi and, and try want to understand their way, that's something they need to ask themselves constantly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. And I think that when people talk about the power fantasy of just wanting to celebrate only violence. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's the that's the risk where we can be a little bit more Vader in the hallway uh, than oh, Luke in the yeah. hallway. Yeah, yeah. But I think there are benefits to it as well, it, to the power fantasy in a part of the reason that this kind of mythic storytelling speaks to us and is a morality tale because it, I don't think Star Wars is meant as just a cautionary tale of here's what you shouldn't do, right? There's plenty right of lessons in Star Wars of here's what you shouldn't do. Don't give in to your fear. Don't let go of your compassion. You know, don't seek power just for power's sake so you can take whatever you want. Um, But I think it also does. This is that action versus inaction uh, morality contrast that I'm fascinated with. I think Star Wars does make arguments that to be inactive is also a questionable moral choice. And I think if you have a power fantasy from the perspective of, I wish I was like Luke Skywalker and I wish that I felt more capable of making a difference when I see a problem and now making it carefully so that you don't tap into just the hubris of I have power. So I decide everything for everyone and every, the answer to every obstacle is just quickly cut it down with the laser sword. That stuff is all dangerous, which is why the path of the Jedi, the path of Luke Skywalker is, is noble and easy to fall from because it's a really difficult path. But I think I can let myself get into the power fantasy of Luke Skywalker in a scene like this, because he is, cutting down droids built for control and murder and death. And he's doing it to go save a child, to go answer a call for help. And I think the lightsaber in some parts of Star Wars is a symbol of, like in Return of the Jedi, it won't make any, it won't help anyone for him to cut down his own father. It will only hurt. The blade doesn't help right now, so the blade goes aside. But there are other moments where the blade needs to come up in defense of people. And I find that power fantasy 
helpful sometimes when like I'm never I'm never going to be a space wizard with an amazing uh lightsaber but remembering that I can make the choice to to use what power I have to try to help and that that is that we all have power even if we don't feel like it we do and we can choose to use it and we have to choose whether or not we're using it out of anger or frustration or just to prove that we have power or if we're using it to truly help someone and I can let myself enjoy the power fantasy of Luke swinging the blade in this moment because I believe he is truly helping. Does that make sense? It hundred percent because 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 I, I, I he is right. You know, uh, this is uh, you can get in the deep philosophical side of it, which was fun for us to do and and, and to wrestle. And, and again, I don't always have the answers. I just have what I take from them. But yeah, he shows up and uh, you know I I think of uh, Anakin and Padme and aggressive negotiations, right? And that kind of joke. Uh, but yeah, at, at some point, you, you have to. At some point, you need to. And that's the call of the light side often. So I think you're right. This the, to, to That term power fantasy can be very uh, negative. It can be very just smash X on your, on your controller. And that's the only action you want to see. But it also can be a reminder, a testament to uh, doing what you have to do for the, the sake of the galaxy, the sake of the people and the creatures in front of you. No, I, I definitely think you're right. And, and and that's why I keep going, even though I'm saying drawing the comparisons to what could have been with Luke and the darkness dancing beneath them at times in this moment, he is doing exactly what he needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, great to talk about uh, the power fantasy because that is definitely uh, something I think is, is important to examine. It's always going to be one of the tensions of a, a franchise called Star Wars <laughs> mm-hmm. that asks you to really, really think carefully about when you take a big, powerful action. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the uh, kind of where Luke's coming from, where where his head is at at this period in the timeline, because I think that's another important part of it is just remembering that we're always, Luke Skywalker isn't this constant. <laughs> he is He and all our characters are changed by where they are in their own journey, their own life. So what do you think Luke's relationship and understanding of the Jedi Order of Old is at this point in the story? Is he trying to follow the old ways or is he forging a new path? I think it is a, uh, this is a cheat. It's a new path to the old ways, (laughs) Uh, which might put him in line with some of the stuff Ahsoka's got going around her brain too. Uh, look, I read the Jedi Academy trilogy of books in 94, right? I haven't talked about that. That was also about the point I, I kind of pulled the plug on reading Star Wars books at that point. Um, I, I felt there was a little bit, it's been a while. It's been a while. Don't toss any eggs at me. It's been a while. But I think there was a little bit of lather, rinse, repeat back then, give or take some details. Um, I, I think, Luke, and, and we don't have a ton of what Luke's saying on this, um, but I think taking his actions in the Shattered Empire comic series, um, and how he was planning to go forward. I think there is a little bit of, uh, I need to do this. I need to rebuild the Jedi Order. But keep in mind, he wasn't there for it. He didn't experience it, pitfalls or successes. So he is just building what he believes is the way. I've always taken, there's a little bit of humor uh, that I take from um, Luke going in uh, De- uh, Yoda's hut and uh, Return of the Jedi. Of, well, then I am a Jedi. And Yoda's is like, <laughs> you what? <laughs> no, 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 you're not a Jedi. Uh, yeah. um, it's about his father and that final con, but it's like, there's also kind of like, I'm a Jedi. Like, dude, you don't even know what the stationary looks like. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that noise from Yoda's grave. Like, oh, somebody's wearing their big boy Jedi pants already. And it's a little early for that. 
Yeah. And he's, and so that, what that, but that, what that shows me, and again, this is maybe me pulling some out, it's my interpretation of it, but he is trying to rebuild the Jedi order at some point. He, again, he's going around, I think it, he and Laura Santeca going around trying to find out what the force is. The legends, the Jedi book shows to me, shows a lot of Luke going to learn what the force is and what it is in different cultures and worlds. I think that's some great stuff from Luke. Um, I think it's part of why he's collecting things, but when it comes to rebuilding the order, yeah, I do think there's a little bit of, uh, all right, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to open up a business now. And he's going to learn how to run that business a little bit later on. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think he is so in, in everything that we've seen in this, uh, part of the star Wars, uh, timeline, he is so interested in studying the force and understanding it. And I think this goes back to uh, some of, if there is hubris in this scene, I think some of what it is, is, uh, Luke's obsession with mastery. I've talked about this a couple of times. It's a, just a, a perspective of Luke I love that Yoda really gives him the business in Empire Strikes Back of, you know, you're always looking for adventure. You're always looking over the horizon to the next thing you need to be focused of serious mind. And I think Luke, because he fails, he walks away from his training. He so takes that seriously. Uh, I think it's reflected in this scene when he, he says uh, to Din about Grogu, talent uh, without training is nothing. That's uh, to me one of the most important lines for for where Luke is at in this scene in The Mandalorian. So right. I think that's a part of it of I am not in a rush to get to what needs to happen next. I am slowly studying, finding old artifacts, learning everything I can, preserving everything I can. If somebody needs my help or wants to be trained, I deal with it on a case-by-case basis. I knew that my sister Leia was powerful in the force and I thought that she should be trained and we worked on it and she decided to go to let it go for, you know, for different reasons. And so he lets that go. And then he hears a call for help. Like we said at the top of the podcast, it's not like he is the Jedi of old, you know, there's, he's not a Jedi seeker going out and like finding some random Nautilus family and going, you know how your kid can sometimes lift rocks. Uh, can I take him? He's responding to a call. So that to me says he is studying the old ways, but hasn't made any decisions exactly about how he is forging that next path other than this real conviction that he has that mastery and training are the way to avoid mistakes, to avoid using power in the wrong way and, and to keep yourself safe. As he says about Grogu, he'll only be safe if he has mastered his abilities. Uh, so I think in terms of if there's anything from the Jedi of old that Luke is focused on, it's this idea of mastery being so important, but I don't think he's just got his foot on the gas going, how many, how many Jedi kids can I find? And by the way, you know, someone who would, you know, rushes off and gets his hand chopped off would be like, uh, you know, mastering and taking the time is a good way to keep yourself safe. Just to boil it down to that uh, bumper sticker kind of thought. I, I, that, that's a, comes from a experience from Luke. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you go back to the beginning of that Bespin duel, and I love that moment where Luke is like, I think you'll find I'm full of surprises. And then just immediately <laughs> gets his butt handed to him because, yes, you're quite impressive where you're at, but you don't you don't understand the scale, right? Like, yeah. You are, you're good, but you don't even know what great is right now, you know? It's, it's yeah. such, I think it's such great storytelling in Luke's whole journey and does connect to uh, the sequel trilogy really well, too. Uh, let's talk about the Ahsoka of it all. Why do you think Ahsoka and Luke did have such different reactions to Grogu's situation? Uh, do you agree with, uh, do you think Ahsoka and Luke are in disagreement? Do you think that they 
that you agree with one more than the other? Where do you go with that? This has been fascinating for me because I had not watched the Ahsoka stuff after, you know, since the Luke stuff happened in Mandalorian. So now you can kind of connect it and put it down and find a little bit more complete story. Again, me pulling out what I take from it. I, I am often off in the wilderness just trying to find my way through. All right. Bear with me. <laughs> But upon further review, here's, here's one of the things I think. I, I, I'll say this. I think Ahsoka ends up in a great spot, and it's a spot we all would expect her to take, going back to her, her end of her Jedi time in Clone Wars Season 5, and then where we pick up in Season 7 and all the stuff she's done. She, she's got a lot of valuable, clear, uh, clearly valuable experiences uh, that would uh, make me look at her as, uh, as a bit of a trusted source for thoughts on this. Uh, she ends up in a great spot, which is about choice, and I think Luke does echo that. We'll discuss that. Um, and she does not react solely on her first campfire chat with Din. And this is one thing I, I was, as I was watching, it's like her first sitting around the campfire that where we learn Grogu's name. I think there's a, there's a, it's really clear there's a tinge of, of pain and a tinge of failure. You and I discussed in reviewing this episode about there's some darkness behind those bright eyes what's got her down some stuff has happened beyond even what we know and i can't wait to figure out more but i think i think follow me here fight back if i'm wrong joseph but (laughs) there's a a tinge of luke on the island of luke on octo for me in the camp in the first campfire i thought there's a lot of like i can't no no i mean the fact that she kind of walks away and it's like just let his let his skills fade away because that's the only safe thing. Like I, it, this, this attachment uh, is big and look, you and I know, it, it, and she knows, but it, it, it won't attachment doesn't always lead to darkness, but she's so afraid of the power. I think she has her own fear that I didn't maybe pick up on, or maybe I'm just put in there now after seeing Luke's and I'm not saying she's right or wrong and Luke's right or wrong. I think they all end up in the same spot. Um, but on the flip side, and then I'll kick it back to you here. Um, I, Luke has an edict. It's, it's a straight up mandate put in front of him. Pass on what you've learned. And he, and he, and he later learns that also includes failure and, and folly and all those kind of great things we get in The Last Jedi. But at this point, I, I kind of consider him a missionary for better or worse. He's also seen redemption. You have talked about this, sir, about the fantasy conversation that these two characters could have. And part of, part of it would be Luke going, you know, Ahsoka, he came back. He came back. She has not seen that redemption or maybe at this point doesn't know it. So she could be afraid of the attachment that Grogu has. She has seen where where it's led. And while Luke doesn't want Grogu to go there, he's also felt the other side. He's alive because of that redemption. And and in a way, Luke is Ray on the island right now, if that makes sense. Like he would believe, he would believe what you said, the training harnesses skills, um, as opposed to Soka saying, let them diminish. But, but so he is at that point in his life, which is why it makes it more powerful when he tells Ray at the, on the island, like, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you how this goes. He hasn't experienced that. He's been, his very life has been saved by the redemption of someone whose attachment led, to, led him to the dark side. So that's all yeah. the stuff going on in my head. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of great thoughts in what you just said. And I really agree with your perspective on Ahsoka in that episode of The Mandalorian, that there is definitely a sadness there. I think it's really important and interesting to know. We don't know exactly what's been going on with Ahsoka. There are some parts of her timeline we know, and and those inform her mood. I think it's really powerful in that campfire scene when she is telling Din what Grogu remembers, that he was at the Jedi Temple, that he was rescued, but then it's dark. And how does that make Ahsoka feel? Because she went through Order 66, and then 
she tried to help, you know, she helped to help build the rebellion, helped where she could, but is there any guilt there? Because she knows Grogu and probably other Jedi were out there, other younglings, other foundlings were suffering and, and she wasn't there to help them, you know? Oh, totally, totally. And, and this is, uh, I mean, again, it's, it's experiences. And, and that's why I, I think now these two moments, there's a lot of great analysis, great analysis. I read a ton of it following the Ahsoka stuff because it's juicy. It's rich. And hell, George was on set. So maybe he just flew out of his flannel, flannel into the scene. Um, but I think you, I think the complete picture with, with Luke there. And, and to me, the sadness we felt from Ahsoka actually seems stronger upon further review. Like you're saying here, we don't know what's going on. And this to me, follow me, makes Luke even more the new hope. Like he is now more of a legend and there's more pressure on him because Ahsoka's like, Hey, I'm on a, I'm on another fat, uh, path, which by the way, I think it's okay that she turned away from this choice to train Grogu. They're not all on the same path. I think of Obi-Wan telling Ezra, you're not supposed to be here. Get off Tatooine. This isn't your story. Uh, almost literally. Um, she's not ready to teach. Not just Grogu. She might not be ready to teach. Kanan wasn't either when he first met him. So it's not a, this is an indictment of Ahsoka. It's just, that's her journey. But now it's like you turn to Luke. And that, that thing she says at the end of like, a Jedi might find him. And then there's a pause like, oh, there's not a lot of Jedi left anymore. Man, there's truly pressure on Luke. And uh, I think that's, um, um, I think it's important. It's one, one of the things I take from this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I really agree with you about just looking. There's a lot to be said about what are Luke and Ahsoka's relationship with the old ways. Ahsoka knows them intimately. Ahsoka has strong opinions about, you know, how the Jedi taught her all these great ideals, then didn't quite live up to them. And I think she is trying to out, be out there being a Jedi and trying to live up to the ideals that she was taught, but didn't see being followed through uh, by the Jedi at their end in their hubris. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, points for using hubris. Uh, but I think there's also, I think Luke and Ahsoka are more interesting to me from the perspective of what have they been through? What are they going through? I don't think Ahsoka is wrong in her observation because we've seen it in the show that, mm -hmm. that Grogu is in danger of using his power in selfish ways be from fear from anger because he doesn't know any better he he's in danger of lashing out if someone separated him from din if he didn't choose to leave din but if he perceived in any way that din was being taken from him he absolutely would lash out in anger so it's not that ahsoka's wrong no it's that she has this uh, this perspective of attachment of yeah, it can really be a danger and I'm not in a place to deal with that. And for my headcanon, we're going to wait and we're going to see what the creators tell us about their stories. I think it's really important that I don't think Luke and Ahsoka have met yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think this is exactly what you're saying. I think this is a an absolute result of Luke. Maybe he's a little cocky because of it, but he had the ultimate triumph of compassion. The, the triumph that Yoda, I think, thought was maybe possible, which is why he gave him the Jedi trial to face his father and see how he handles it. Poor Obi-Wan, because of the experiences that he has, uh, doesn't think there's any hope for Anakin that, it, you know, and, and tells Luke, your compassion for Leia is great, but it's going to be used against you. And damn if that isn't exactly what happens. But Luke triumphs over that. He gives in briefly to fear, but then he pushes past it. His compassion for his father is what helps uh, reawaken Anakin and he has these these victories of 
compassion. And I don't think that he has been able, in my opinion, to really sit down and share that with Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. And I think Ahsoka maybe might feel better about attachment uh, and less, less afraid of it. Or maybe Luke's being cocky. We don't exactly know yet, but I, but that's my, uh, my headcanon that, that uh, Ahsoka is focusing on the danger of Vader and Luke is focusing on the victory of Anakin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and both right. And you know, Luke's probably, I, I think, I think there's just a natural uh, level of, uh, shall we say confidence. If you're going around uh, with a mandate to rebuild the Jedi order, you might, I think Luke's trying to learn, but yeah, I think some of that's there. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and, uh, I, I, I also this whole sequence in this discussion has made me think of uh, let's also give Leia some credit for seeing <laughs> heart when training right? Uh, and, and being uh, completely uh, just understanding there are no written endings. Uh, uh, Leia believed in Ray, the individual, not the concept or the family name. I think that uh, that popped in my head a few times when analyzing uh, the best way to train. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think the other big thing for me that, that you kind of hinted at about why Luke and Ahsoka react differently or how they react differently is, uh, you know, I think they're both great Jedi who who are aware of the old ways, Ahsoka even more, but are cautious about trying to find a new path. I think they're, you know, going through the galaxy, helping where they think they can, where they think they should. I think they're both at this point in the timeline, uh, noble Jedi. But then even with within all that sort of like, what is the right Jedi philosophy? Who is the best Jedi? They're still just individuals who experience, you know, make yeah. decisions based on their experiences. And I think it's really powerful and cool that Ahsoka mm. says, maybe it'd be best for him to just walk away because Ahsoka has found great victory in simply walking away from the Jedi, not walking away from power or, or you know, connection mm. or compassion, but saying, yeah, maybe sometimes the best thing to do is just walk away. And Luke's coming at it from that perspective of, no, what he needs is training because that's what I screwed up on. <laughs> yeah. So they're both coming from this perspective of lived experience on, on while both being, I think, noble and trying to do right by Grogu, they're also informed by their own individual life experiences. Yeah, I think this all this is all about good intentions and a lot of correct, uh, correctly, with a lot of focus on the Ahsoka episode was about the choice. Ah, see the big difference? They're not plucking Jedi out of their mother's arms at three. This is a different way. And there's a lot of truth to that. And I, you know, let's, let's have some justice for the Jedi. I don't think it was, I mean, it's not, I don't know. We, we could look back on what they did in the old days. But, but I, you know, I think that, I think that the, 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 what Ahsoka gets to is, is right. But as much as you and I joke about how we love that word hubris, we'll probably say it 50 more times today. Uh, that should be, again, that T-shirt we need. But one of the things you and I talk about a lot is just this idea that the, the, what things characters say are not facts. They're not always facts. Sometimes they are. But this is not a conversation about uh, 100% on paper, which, by the way, Yoda does have some opinions on books and what they teach and what. <laughs> but this is this is two characters we see now, as you and I are discussing, that have gone through a lot and have different perspectives, experiences, and ideas on the same thing. And that same thing is a good idea. What's best for the individual here, Grogu? And that's what's been fun about this conversation and, and, and researching it this weekend. Yeah, and I so agree with you. I think they're in alignment on the thing that probably matters the most is uh, what is best for Grogu. There is no what is best for the Jedi. There's no, you know, uh, what is best for me. It's for both of them. I think they're coming at it from a perspective of, you know, what what is going to be best for this child. Um, 
And along those lines, the next question I wanted to ask you is, what do you think Luke would have done if Grogu had continued to cling to Din's leg even after Din said goodbye? Because we get this great sequence of Ahsoka says, if you take him to the stone, he might choose to call. Uh, and Grogu does make the choice uh, to call. Grogu perks up when Luke is coming. He he kind of he reaches out to uh, Din to say like, "Open the door. It's okay." You know. Uh, so Grogu is already showing some like, "I want to meet this guy." Mm-hmm. But then there's that shyness, and and Luke is saying, "You know, he's he's he wants to go. He's just waiting for your permission." So Din says goodbye. Uh, and, and says, you know, those great uh, kind words of attachment of, you know, I will see you again. I promise uh, I'm letting you go because I think it's best for you. But I love you. I'll still be there for you, kid. And then there's that moment where before R2 comes in, where mm-hmm. Grogu still clings to Din's leg. Mm-hmm. What what do you think at that moment Luke would have done if if Grogu changes his mind and he just scurries up <laughs> Din's leg and hides? This is great. And, and uh, you and I have already, I can tell we got a lot of similar thoughts on this. Surprise, surprise. But first of all, this whole sequence makes Luke Skywalker like John Lovitz's character in From a League of Their Own, where he's an agent <laughs> going around trying to recruit baseball stars. It's it's all the same. It's all the same conversation. Um, I think there would have been a, a little bit of a hard sell kind of joking here. I don't, I don't think Luke would have just turned away. However, I want to give Luke some credit. You mentioned it earlier. I hadn't even thought about it when I made my notes here. When faced with this before, his first student said, I'm out of here. For X, Y, and Z reasons, Luke said, oh, that is the way of it, the, your choice and the will of force, and Leia gets to go on and uh, pursue a different path. Luke already kind of experienced this, and he already kind of had some experience. I will say this, and here's where my ramble begins, and I'll pass it back to you. Uh, I, I, I think you and I are in agreement. I, I, it, it might be a cheat answer. It might not be. But I, Luke showed up because he had already communicated with Grogu and sensed what he wanted. And I'm not saying Grogu was on the scene stone literally saying, hey, somebody can get me. What's your name, Luke? Cool. I'm over here. I want to go. I don't necessarily think that. But I believe Luke kind of sensed Grogu's connection to the Force, that call for help that you mentioned, and that Grogu had a desire to move forward. Uh, whether or not he could articulate it, it was time for that chapter to end. It was time for the uh, to go forward on a path. And... To me, Luke didn't show up to convince him. Uh, he showed up to help him, but he, he needed to convince Din because to me, Din's attachment might have been the danger here. And this mm-hmm. is what could have been detrimental to Grogu. But Din releasing him while he was still maintaining a love for him and Din kind of coming to terms with his own attachment and letting go, I think Grogu's already learned a valuable first lesson. And yes, Anakin was given that lesson as well. With Shmi and the great Shmi moment, a great moment of, of heroism in Star Wars is Shmi letting him go. Anakin learns that lesson and goes a different way because, hey, we all have choices. Those are still in front of Grogu. But to me, uh, I think that's the first lesson, and that might have been part of the reason Luke was showing up. What's he say? He The first thing he says, he's asking for permission. He wants to go, buddy. You've got to let him. And that's part of the whole attachment equation for me. Yeah, no, I like the perspective that Luke is is already clear because he had this force connection. He heard this call and uh, yeah, I love the way those kind of things are described in a lot of the books, the movies tip into it, but obviously the books in the comics have a little bit of room to go inside people's heads and and describe what their, what those connections might feel like. And I, I think you can infer them from things like, you know, the connection between Leia and Luke in at the end of uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back of Leia just mm-hmm. feeling Luke 
Luke's call and and seeing this, you know, fuzzy image of where he was, you know, it, it is really fun to think of what is it that Grogu really put out there? Was it just sort of screaming out, uh, not screaming because it's a, probably the light side, but is it, is it just sort of calling out of, uh, I am here, see me? Or is it more that, that Luke was able to sense the emotions of what Ahsoka did, of I, I was on a path, I was home, I was safe with my people, and then horror happened, and, and here I am, you know? So is it that Luke is really sensing this is what he needs? Uh, and then I love, yeah, I love what you're saying about Luke being there with a little bit of an agenda to convince Din to let go. Yeah. Because he already knows that this is uh, what he felt from Grogu. But I also like that Luke has this really strong perspective, and maybe this is hubris, maybe he'll end up being wrong, that, look, people are going to keep coming for Grogu. He needs to master his abilities so he can defend himself and so he can choose how to use that power so other people don't choose how to use his power for him. Yeah. And I think Luke might have... I don't think Luke would have ever taken Grogu against Grogu's wishes. Right. I think if Grogu scurried back up uh, Din's leg and made it clear that he wasn't willing to go, I think maybe Luke would have come to the same conclusion that Ahsoka did of like his attachment to you is, is too strong right now. It's, it's a dangerous attachment. But I think it more would have been, I'm worried about this little guy. He's going to keep being in danger, but he can only come with me when he chooses to. So when he's ready, you know, come find me. I think it, his response would have been something like that. I think he would have still had his perspective that, Grogu isn't safe until Grogu is a master of his own abilities, uh, but I'm not going to take the child if the child doesn't want to go. Yeah, and I think one of the key conversations that could happen in my head, Canon, is if they're off traveling and 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 on to the training, and, and if Grogu misses Din, that the, Luke allows him to miss him and have conversations about him. Uh, you know, who knows? I'm not saying Anakin was told to you know wipe that from your brain, but he's nine and ten years old and. And he's going through a lot and, 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 you know, you get the feeling that there's not a lot of warmth out of Mace, you know, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> and, you know, almost if they're like, yeah, yeah, you're here now, get over it. And I'm not saying hundred percent, you and I love justice for their Jedi, but that could be part of what was done wrong in the past. And maybe this, again, the examination of attachment, Din, you got to let go, Grogu, you're going to miss him, but this is the right thing. And we can address it. We can have all those emotions at once and not be, you know, stoic. Uh, emotionless space wizards that might be part of what luke's trying to put out there we don't know we don't know we'll get that pamphlet down the line yeah no i, I agree and that would be that would be pretty amazing if uh mandalorian season three mandalorian season four uh, luke just shows up with grogu because like his training isn't done but it's okay for him to visit you <laughs> yeah like i said i said i think a review of just like it's like going back to uh you know visit your muggle family during summer vacation and maybe maybe he doesn't yeah absolutely i think you know we're spiraling off into some really fun head cannons and what if but i will also just go back to the actual episode and in, in why i'm feeling like luke's choices are they're definitely informed by his strong opinions and definitely uh, i think informed by his uh real focus on mastery but i also just think if we want for me, when I watch the show, Grogu's reaction to him makes me believe that Luke is right, that Grogu is having a hard time letting go of Din. It's sad for him. But 
he that poor exhausted little guy after all his blood's been taken out and he's been through hell his eyes perk up when he sees luke he crawls up to watch luke on the video screen he you know whines and reaches out for din to open the door everything he's doing is saying i need this guy i want this guy he came for me he answered my call you know mhm mm, yeah yeah and Hey, you know, then we, we could talk about, hey, Luke going, does at any point he real, he say, yeah, I'm right. You know, I don't know. I, he doesn't say it now. I don't think he says it in this moment, but it could lead to that kind of talk. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the future of Luke and Grogu. But for now, I want to ask this question, then we'll take a quick break. Why do you think Luke did not get involved in anything else that was going on on that bridge or even ask any questions about the rest of the conflict? Look, this is great. This is fun. This is also some Star Wars unintentional comedy. If you rewatch it now with a little bit of the dust settling and excitement for the moment, it's almost bizarre that no one asks him and he didn't ask them anything. Just like, are you a Jedi? Yep, that's it. Okay, uh, take my kid. Um, no, there's a sense, there's a feeling, so not holding anyone to the flame of that. But as far as Luke, I'm going to ask this. Perhaps this is one of the mistakes he makes later on. Mm. Perhaps. He looks at, you know, and it became a legend and all the stuff we, he, we've talked about. And I think in this moment, he's focused. He has that mandate I'm talking about. Yoda, pass on what you have learned. Rebuild a school. Open up. Get your business license. Do this. Um, and I, I've got to wonder. And, and the Shattered Empire comic is a, is a, is a, is four issue run. Go back and revisit it, folks. I love to kind of revisit it every now and then. I didn't have time to do it going into this episode, I will admit. But I even go back to that. There's a little bit correct me if I'm wrong, where Luke's just like, look, I did my part. I fought this war. I took, I took down the empire too. I'm part of that directly in some cases. Now I have a different thing and this is not my fight anymore. It's no longer necessarily a fight. It's, it's establishing a new way of rule. I'm not going to get bogged down in that because I have to reestablish a Jedi order, but first I have to establish what I am as a Jedi. I have to learn the force. I have to go out on this mission. My education is continuing. And I have to think, especially if you've read the history books and maybe don't have, you have some opinions on the Jedi, but you weren't there, but maybe Luke's reading about the high Republic era and going a healthy reformed, just Jedi order is good for the galaxy. You all figure out the rest. I need to go do this. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying it could lead to some wrong. Maybe Luke should have been like, do you all need some other help right now? Um, I got, I can call up Leia right now. Is there, is there a, why am I on a Star Destroyer? Uh, <laughs> or even a smaller class one. You know what I mean? Like maybe you could, you could point fingers at Luke and maybe he does down the line. That's, that's all I'm asking. Yeah. I think this is for me again, going back to that Jedi balance, my interpretation that so much of it is about, when do you choose to take action and when do you really choose not to take action? Mm-hmm. And I think it goes to the the Sith-Jedi divide that the Sith want to control. They think they should control. And the Jedi want to help as much as possible while letting everybody make their choices. And they only really intervene when it is clear that somebody is asking for help, somebody needs help, something truly uh, violent and unjust is happening. Then they step in with those blades as a as a shield, hopefully, if not as a you know a, a precise weapon, a precise choice when they do choose violence, but they don't want to control. And I think it's great in all the Luke storytelling that we can see him disengage from being a weapon of the rebellion, mm-hmm. a weapon of a of a government or an ideology about halfway through Return of the Jedi. 
he's he's like great i rescued han i feel right about that i feel right about the way i did it i am now now i'm stepping out i I, now i'm gonna go uh you know finish my training yoda gives him basically the assignment to face your father obi-wan gives him the different assignment to uh end uh the man who was your father and the sith and the threat uh then he he tries to go back to business as usual right of like well i'm on a mission for the rebellion to stop the empire, which is all just all things I should do, but it's it's not working because my battle is is this personal thing with mm. my father. You know, he's not he's not going to Vader with the uh, dad. Turn back to the uh, the light side, then we'll go kick <laughs> the emperor's ass, right? Yeah. He, even when he's talking to the emperor in Return of the Jedi, he's saying, "You and I have taken ourselves out of this." battle you're just going to be blown up by the rebellion you know mm. he obviously does want to stop the sith that is right and and just but it, it, it's more like he learned the lesson from empire strikes back of like a, a part of his destiny is to just deal with his relationship with his father and then you're right in all the storytelling that we have after return of the jedi the shattered empire is those mini stories of you know what big actions leia gets up to what big actions han gets up to and looks like there's a force tree in danger <laughs> Yeah, that's my business. You're not sending me on a big military action. You know, if somebody's going to be shot right in front of me, I will stop it because that's unjust. You know, I'm not going to let people die in front of me. But I think that I need to relinquish control. I don't need to because I'm the Jedi and have all the power. I don't need to grab the reins of the galaxy and control it and tell it where it should go. I should go take care of what's in my lane, which is Mm. preserving the force helping when i encounter people who need help uh then in battlefront 2 you know you talk a lot about that pilio scene with luke i love that correct me if i'm wrong timeline wise but operation cinder is going on big galactic problem and he's like i'm looking up artifacts (laughs) when you say it like that (laughs) sorry it's the worlds are being burned i need that compass uh because Leia's on top of that, and I yeah. think it is. And you, and this is so great because we can debate the morality out of it. Of like, he's a Jedi; he should be using his power to save as many people everywhere where there's violence. He should be there trying to stop it. He should be going to the the heart of the remnants of the Empire and, and cutting them down. It's horrible, but it has to happen. You can have that argument, but what the storytelling we have right now is that he doesn't want to be in control of of the galaxy. His sister, his amazing sister has got that (laughs) so he's he's taking care of jedi concerns the balance of the force uh you know finding out what the past of the order should be so he can understand what the future of it might be and i think that's exactly the path he's on here of i'm only here because this child called for my help i'm not what you think i am cara dune or bo katan i'm not uh, just some being of immense power who's going to enforce my will on every situation I encounter. If someone asks for help, I'm going to choose whether or not I want to come help. And, and to me, it's fascinating to think if Cara Dune would have been like, um, hey, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've heard rumors about you. I saw you once <laughs> in passing. You know, we've got a situation here. Stay and help. Mm-hmm. Would he have said, let me think about it? Would he have said, Right now, I need to help this child, you know? Mm-hmm. How would he have reacted if he had been asked for help? I think he would have really measured it because I think that's where he's at as a Jedi is, I don't want to make the mistakes of the past of being over-involved, of being overly controlling. I'm going to look at each situation and, and ask, 
am I really needed? And is this the time to use my power? Is this the time to choose action or or to be passive and let the balance of the force work itself out? Yeah, I think if I think if any one of them asks, I think he almost has to stay, right? I mean, it keeps them not well, not has to, but I mean, just what he tells Del Mico is, you know, well, because you asked. Uh, I think that's very powerful. Uh, you 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 brought it up. We talked about it on the scene by scene conversation about Luke and Vader, but you know, I love that moment when uh, you know he the Ewoks agree to help, and Luke, you're absolutely right. He looks around, and he's kind of like, my work here is done. It's elsewhere. It's part of this story, but it's elsewhere. They got this. Sherpa, low gray and the team, they got all the help they need. I need to put the trust, my trust in that, uh, that version or that, that, that path for them to take. I'm out of here. I, I got other things to do. Um, in a way, it's a very general way to look at it, but I, I think it connects to what's going on here. And again, it might be wrong. He might be looking back just like we look back now and go, Qui-Gon, you couldn't throw the other slaves on Tatooine a bone? <laughs> You couldn't do that. It's okay to question. It's part of the Star Wars story is mistakes along the way and how you recover and choices and all those wonderful things we love breaking down. So I'm, I have no problem rolling on my sleeve and going, uh, Luke didn't, uh, didn't ask. Fair. Yeah. I mean, and, and there are a bunch of things going on on that bridge, right? And is there any world where Luke should have been like, I sense the Darksaber. Let me decide who has it. Let me, like, why would he, that's Mandalore's business, you know? Should he be getting involved with that? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Or, I don't know. I'll be the referee. You guys fight. <laughs> yeah, and then in terms of just the like, oh yeah, no, this is an Imperial cruiser. That doesn't seem great, but like, you, you're all here. You're in control of it. You seem like you're doing what you need to do. You didn't ask me for help. You know, I think you made the joke on a review, and I think it's true. Like, maybe he does send a space email to Leia. Like, yeah, <laughs> I found this kid on the cruiser. Might be, might be a thing. Um, yeah. I think the thing that I would really love is some sort of storytelling in this era where Leia is like, I understand you are on your path. You are helping where you think you are needed. And I know you don't want to just be the one man, you know, military arm of the new Republic, but I have a situation and I need you. Mm -hmm. How does he respond then? You know, that that's really interesting to me. Well, because, yeah, then the legend is building, then it is growing, which ties in some of the stuff later on in his life. Uh, and uh, you may, when you're talking, you may, I, I think of uh, Poe being frustrated with Ray and Rise of Skywalker. Like, you're a bet. We need you out there. Oh, I'm on this journey. And they both kind of, you know, are, are, are right. They both need to be on these paths. So anyways, uh, complicated layers in being a Jedi. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to talk about even more of them uh, as we as we look at some of the uh, connections to the sequels and come to some conclusions on our thoughts on Luke's appearance in The Mandalorian. That's right. Can you believe it? We have even more thoughts and we'll share them when we return. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. 
Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at Jennifer Landa and on TikTok as Jennifer Landa 1138. And we are back to discuss Luke Skywalker's appearance in The Mandalorian and how it connects to all these other great points in the storytelling of Luke Skywalker, the Jedi, and the larger Star Wars galaxy, and our real world. You know, a nice, small, limited topic this week. Uh, Ken, let's talk about The Last Jedi. In The Last Jedi, Luke feels he started to believe his own legend, that he became cocky and made mistakes because of it. Uh, Do you see that in this scene? And, larger question, do you think taking Grogu will end up being one of those mistakes? I'm just really interested and just completely lost on Grogu's future. I I don't think everything needs to you know, be super uh, just connected. And so I don't necessarily believe, I don't necessarily believe I should say that Grogu uh, meets his end at the, at the hands of Kylo Ren or in truth, the Knights of Ren, right? Well, details there in the comic series of what actually happened. Uh, I don't know that, but I, I think this could be again, part of the journey. And I, I think that's the, the, the storytelling we don't have. Uh, we know the, the Ochi of Bastoon stuff and kind of the, where he's going later on with Lando, like clearly it seems like his search or his, his own kind of uh, search for just compasses started to kick up a notch into other things. And maybe th- he does help. Maybe, you know, he's not infallible. And so that could include a little bit of, of ego. You know, you're an Obi-Wan guy. Obi-Wan has some moments of ego. Ooh, yeah. Know? Mace Windu has some o- moments of ego. Ego? Ego? Grogu? Ego? <laughs> and ego. Uh, Yoda does. They're not infallible. And so I think... I could see that the, the Grogu path could be part of what ends up happening to Luke. And not, even if it's not specific that Grogu is one of the students killed or, you know, by the time he'd be a little bit older, maybe he's, at a, maybe he's an assistant PE coach at, at Luke's school. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I, I love that we don't know Grogu's story yet, and I think we should not jump to years in the future that, of course, everything moved in this exact linear line, and he was in the temple, and bad things happened to him. Uh, I understand that concern, and it's a fun thing to think about, but I do like that Grogu's story is wide open right now, and we don't know yet. I think that, to me, is the power of this, is we don't know yet if this was a mistake, right? Was Ahsoka more right? Uh, I mean, Ahsoka did say geeks you know let, let the child choose whether or not to call out but ahsoka was afraid of the uh you know attachment and mm-hmm. luke doesn't seem to be as concerned about that they said goodbye peacefully and it's grogu made a choice and grogu is going to learn and grow and and learn mastery and luke seems okay with that and maybe that will end up being a mistake but we just don't have that storytelling yet which i'm excited for um to wonder what it's going to be from what we can see of luke on screen in the Mandalorian. I I said before on our review, I love the picture of the legend of Luke Skywalker, the way everybody on the bridge does not know what to make of him, you know, watching him uh, through the screens uh, like they're watching a star Wars story. He, we see him 
through the eyes of other people in the galaxy and we can see how the legend can grow. I love that the story sets up that this bridge is full of just titans of combat and they're like, we do not know if we can make it through these dark troopers. We, we, this might be it for us. Uh, and really underlined by Moff Gideon laying it out there. And, and nobody's seeming to disagree, yeah. which really elevates the true power of a Jedi, the true power of Luke, that he's like, yeah, I walked through them. And, and yeah, they probably look kind of fancy and impressive, but I barely broke a sweat. My heartbeat doesn't seem elevated. I'm incredibly powerful. So it's from the the perspective of other people in the galaxy, you can see how the legend would grow. And from the perspective of Luke himself, even though I think he is extremely noble and trying to do everything right, if he keeps running into problems where he's like, well, I've weighed it, I feel confident that using the blade is, is just, and I do it without breaking a sweat, mm. how could you not get a little cocky with mm. that amount of, of power and that amount of mastery protecting you from making a mistake physically or philosophically. Yeah. It don't, it, it'd be only natural in a way. And um, maybe we'll see examples of that down the line. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the, in the Grogu stuff is just, are, how, how impatient do you feel for the future of Grogu's story? Um, I, right now I, I gotta tell you, not too impatient. I, I'm there's, I think part of that is there's so much content, right? coming. Out, so there'll be big, We'll be asking about Cassian Andor and his what he had <laughs> real soon, um, but I definitely, I definitely want to know. It, it's when you introduce a character this memorable and this powerful into the story during this timeline, and we all know where it ends or where we think it ends in terms of Luke and Ray and things we got in the sequel trilogy. Yeah, you naturally want to know, so I, I can't wait, but I think I can wait. <laughs> you got some good Jedi patience on the future of Grogu. Yeah, there is a joy in in being told this strange non-linear story of we already know how the things Luke wrestles with and and his choices uh, at the end of his life and his new life is a part of the cosmic force. Uh, but we don't yet know about this moment. And that's really fun. In The Rise of Skywalker, Luke admits that it was fear that kept him on the island. Uh Fear of what, do you think? And if he had been able to push past that fear earlier, what action should he have taken? I, I think I, I don't, for me, it's not too much more than fear of, of past mistakes. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit, he got, I think he kind of, well, I am saying he gets over his fear of training Ray, though his lessons are a little, a uh, little dour. <laughs> A little dour. Um, <laughs> but he wants to, you know, he wants to get involved. The novelization has a little bit more. He makes a little bit more of the decision when he shows up when they're touching hands. Uh, you, you could definitely get the idea that he was going to be like, you know what, let's go. And then that happens and he doesn't. So, and he finds uh, a way that I think you and I in the end kind of agree was best uh, best for Luke, which we can get to in a second. But I, I, I just think, I think fear of mistakes, fear of mistakes of of uh, not just with Ray, but also could it, could it be a little bit of the fear of just like facing, facing Kylo is basically just looking at your biggest failure in the face. And if you're not emotionally prepared to deal with that um, and to face some truths about yourself, you're going to keep running from it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it is. I think the fear that he's talking about in Rise of Skywalker is this large fear of failing at walking that high noble road of knowing exactly when to take action and exactly when not to take action. 
his failure, as far as we we can see in Last Jedi, and his his final telling of the story to Ray, which I think is the one that has the most truth, is he he saw Kylo destroying everything that he loved. He Luke Skywalker has has been Jedi Master, stopping things like that from happening. And mm-hmm. for just a brief moment of instinct, as he says, he ignites that blade, and it's a one moment of failure in his mastery. And it has such huge, huge implications. So there's that. I've I've walked this path of mastery. I valued it, and I had a moment where I made a bad choice. And that's how that's how that's how volatile and, and how much responsibility that kind of power is. If you slip for a second, mm-hmm. it can have devastating consequences. So I think there's that kind of large theoretical. Uh, philosophical and then he you know he projects that and says look that happened to Yoda when he lost Dooku it happened to Obi-Wan it happened to all the Jedi when they were so ignorant and didn't see Sidious coming and uh, had the hubris Um, but I think you're right Uh, you're totally right that there's also that personal face to it of I failed my nephew and I think that's powerful it's what he says to Leia is like I came to face him and I can't save him uh and it seems like he has finally come to terms with like, just because I can't personally turn him back to the dark side doesn't mean that I, I don't have to take responsibility and, you know, yeah. apologize and share some wisdom. Oh, and save everybody's lives <laughs> while I'm here. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I really like connecting uh, that moment in, in rise of Skywalker. Cause I don't think it is a contradiction to anything that he says in the last Jedi. I think it highlights where he comes at the end of The Last Jedi. You know, there's been lots of, of great conversation about how much his appearance in The Mandalorian, boldly swinging that saber, uh, kicking ass, uh, defending a child, saving a child, does that match up with the Luke that we see in Last Jedi? And I think, yes, it, it, to me, it, it does. A lot of great discussions about this. But I think that there is this power that Luke is convinced by Ray and by Leia and by Yoda telling him, let go of your obsession with mastery, you know, failure and mistakes and learning from them is also another thing that you can pass on. Mm -hmm. And he, I think he comes to this choice of, I was wrong to choose inaction. I was wrong to, to give into my fear that if I put even the slightest toe out of place, everything will fall apart and it's all my fault. That's Mm -hmm. the fear I was giving into. So I need to demonstrate to Ray into the galaxy that it is good and right to take noble action. I myself, Luke Skywalker, do not want to raise a blade to my nephew. Nothing productive will come of me doing that in this moment. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to show the galaxy the nobility of taking action. I'm going to show Ray uh, the necessity of not being afraid of your power, but but finding the right way to use it. And I am going to do it in a way that is, it, for me in this moment, pacifist. I'm going to take up the blade in a symbolic way because that's all I need to do this time around. And I, there's a power in that. You and I have uh, talked about that a, a lot. I think people have really great insights and discussions on that. But I think another element of it that sometimes doesn't get discussed as much is what he actually says to Kylo. Is He says... Uh, you're wrong. The war is just beginning and I will not be the last Jedi. It's not just that Luke is saying that pure pacifism is always 100% the correct choice. I think he's always also advocating that, 
you know, when darkness rises, light has to be there to meet it. You have to find a way to take action because just not taking action is, is bad too. And I feel like Luke is not only by the projection and by finally accepting that blade that Ray has offered to him again and again, he's also just saying to Kylo, I, I'm not going to be the last Jedi. People are going to rise up to oppose you and that action is necessary and good. Yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to this. Um, you and I could probably go back in the last Jedi three years later. <laughs> Here's what I'll, so I'll agree with everything you say here, but the idea, this appearance in, in the Mandalorian to me makes last Jedi one more powerful, but also two more tragic and even more frustrating. And I, and I enjoy that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the, the sicko here. I love when my characters fail and frustrate me because I feel I learn more about them and perhaps learn more about myself where they end up and everything you're talking about where Luke ends up in Last Jedi is tremendously powerful to me. I think you asked the question of if he had able been able to push past that fear on Octo, what action would he have taken? I think the answer is ignite the green like everyone wanted and steel made t-shirts about. I think he would have done that and that is absolutely why people were frustrated. And I get it. That's some, a lot of the conversation that I had off air with some of my friends. Like, oh, but he he needs to know that's what he should should have done. Or, you know, I just want to take that lightsaber and run down the hill. And we make the Mecha Luke jokes, uh, the great Hello Greedo video. But it's that frustration is real. And I still think that's okay. It's okay for you as a fan to feel frustrated. And it's because, you know, Luke, you could do this. You could do what Ray is asking. But he is afraid to do it. And also, now with, with where we are in the galaxy again, his mistake helped leads to not the formation of the First Order, but now they have a lot more power behind him, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty, it's, we're back in the beginning almost. And I think he, I think he knew that's where he lands on again, not to remix, not just what you said, but we, what we said before here. But he just knows the galaxy will be, will continue to be where it was, even if he wins, if he kicks ass. They'll lean on legends and not themselves. And that's also real fear too. So he lands on the best way to be a legend and a lesson. But all that to me is, is made even more powerful by seeing, getting to see Luke at his, uh, at his height. And, and it should make you, if you're a Luke fan, it should make you emotional. You should punch your, your fist in the air. You could uh, uh, shed a tear. I think all that's tremendously value, uh, valuable and valid. And it just makes his decision in The Last Jedi at the end to me and, and his passing of peace and purpose even that much more powerful to me. Maybe not everyone, but I, I think it, that's the connection I feel. Yeah, I, I feel like that is a lot about Luke. Uh, you know, Yoda, Ray inspires him. Leia inspires him. They're saying, you know, y- y- you're not just your actions. You are a symbol of hope. And he, he listens to that. But I think Yoda just really gives him that permission to forgive himself. And I think what he does is he he thinks creatively he thinks masterfully he uses his absolute mastery to say you know remember back in the day when i i could find my footing and say i know what the situation is i know it's right i know it's just i know the way to use my power in the way that's going to help the most people and hurt the fewest and he and he reconnects to that you know and it's very very different to have luke there in person young swinging that green blade and cutting down those droids and it's cool and it's power uh, but I, I I agree with respective. It's not that ultimately that different with what he does in Last Jedi. He he regains that uh, confidence to find 
a path forward, to find a creative path forward uh, that makes that only helps keep people alive mm-hmm. and, you know, doesn't cause uh, further damage. Um, I, I think for me, the the what should he have done is really fascinating because he could have just said, like, right, uh, Leia's forming a resistance. I'm going to go, you know, I, I will work with you. I won't do anything that I don't think is right, but, I, you know, I will try to prevent tragedies and that. Or he could have taken like the more personal path, like he ended up doing with Vader. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me of like, I, I think part of what broke Luke is he was he knows he he can't get through Kylo to, through to Kylo because, or rather Ben because mm-hmm. Ben blames him. Same way Obi Wan can't get to Vader, but he Luke could. Mm-hmm. So there's it's fascinating to me of you know what would have happened if Luke had said, I screwed up. I made a, a very bad mistake. I wasn't there for Ben. I missed it. How how bad the darkness was was pulling at him in his training. I pushed him over the edge, uh, but I need to pick myself up and keep going. I'm not going to go fight a war, but Ben and Han, or not Ben and Han, uh, but Han and Leia, I will I I will take you to your son, you know, and I will stand there with my blade and I'll block any incoming fire. But we will go to him and we'll put our hands out. Like, is that what he should have done? Is that what he was too afraid to do? Mm. Yeah. And yeah, I think a lot of that's there. Again, look at tracks too. Look, look again, look at Luke now. <laughs> not, a, not asking anyone what's going on. He's on his own journey and that could have been part of it too. Yeah. Again, going back to the beginning almost, that could have been the mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, your great thoughts and for indulging me on, uh, on all those connections between last Jedi and rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian. Uh, I think I'm clear on our opinion here, but do you ultimately uh, feel like Luke's appearance in The Mandalorian is a heroic moment? Uh, is it heroic with a side of hubris or possible hubris in the future, or is it just uh, plain heroic to you? Oh, he's a schlub. What a what a what a jerk! Just showing. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. It's 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 heroic, and it is heroic by his core and his actions, but it's also heroic in appearance I, I, you know maybe he's maybe he's walking around going well i've got to be a hero so i've got to do things with a little drama you know he's he's kind of a he's a serious boy <laughs> he's a serious boy <laughs> you know even even hot luke going uh, how you doing dak oh you can take on the empire yourself <laughs> i know what you mean we don't have that luke at all that luke's gone there's no even jokes in this moment um you know he does you know he doesn't point, point at din and go hey amanda without his helmet and amanda with their helmets what's going on Nothing. <laughs> what's the deal with that he nah, he is he is heroic and he's trying to be a hero but he's also trying to be a hero for the bigger picture which for him is possibly uh rebuilding the jedi order at this point so yeah uh, that's a long way to say yes yeah I think ultimately for me, it passes the uh, the Yoda test of knowledge and defense. He is, you know, he's slicing down those dark troopers, but it is in defense of the child. He is trying to pass on his knowledge because he believes that's what the child is is asking for and that that is what would be uh, best for the child. I think there is, I think what I love about it is, I think the moment is pure, but within it are the seeds of that, uh, cockiness, that hubris that will contribute to him making some mistakes because he's he's not accepting the fact that you're going to make mistakes. He's he's so obsessed to me with mastery that that's a big part of his fall of just this is a moment in in many of the greatest hits of Luke Skywalker where he managed to do the right thing and, and he can't 
he had such a hard time coping with it when he can't figure out the right way forward in the last Jedi era. Uh, Up until the end, of course. So um, I want to also talk a little bit about just kind of some of the real world discussions going around it. We were were talking about a lot of things that's uh, that are internal to the storytelling and the logic of Star Wars. But I want to talk about some of those real world ramifications. So some fans who, you know, aren't a big fan of The Last Jedi are really happy because they did see Luke uh, swinging a, a green blade and kicking ass. How do you how do you wrestle with that? Does it um, does the storytelling read as fan service or uh, correcting a mistake? Uh, why or why not? How do you feel about all that kind of real world uh, back and forth? Your Honor, I plead the fifth. I don't want to be involved in this. No, look, I um, I try to understand it. I try to get it. I just think if, yeah, I don't. We, you and I tried not to, even though we have some maybe some strong beliefs and some strong interpretations in moments. I I try not to, you know, shut the door too much. I just uh, fan service. I don't even understand the term fan service anymore. I I, I think I know it when I see it, and then I, I I I don't know. Some people have some valid uh, criticisms of what things that I love in some of the movies and stuff that they see as just trite fan service. Other people, I, I don't think they have a good handle on that term. Um, again, it's a part of the discussion. And right now, quite frankly, Star Wars Twitter is a, a gas fire, a trash fire with gas fire fuel being dumped on it. <laughs> it's it exhausting to you and I and many others. I don't get it. And so that's why I think people aren't looking at the bigger picture sometimes doesn't mean I'm not talking about your enjoyment. You might enjoy Mandalorian Luke better than you like old man grumpy Luke. A hundred percent fair, you know, uh, just, just like, uh, you might like uh, a certain version of Harrison Ford's Han in the, you know, you might like uh, new hope uh, dashing cool versus, uh, uh, grumpy general. There's these characters, their lives go on for a long time. I, I just think that they're, they're, they're not canceling out each other and they're not making, the other one worse or better. Does that make sense? You know, like, yeah. Cause my point being, cause without a doubt, there's some people out there who I might disagree with, but there's some other people who love the last Jedi, excuse me, who are having a weird reaction to the Mandalorian thing as if haters of the last Jedi wrote the Mandalorian thing. <laughs> I just think it's wrong. I just think you're not looking at the whole picture. And that's part of the, part of the problem I think I have with some of the, the quote unquote discourse out there. I'm putting big quotation marks around that. As it just, you're not taking the time to engage with not just the story presented, but the entire picture of these arcs, these characters, as they're put down on the map and you start connecting them. And then I think a lot of people view it as facts. Again, like the big thing we say, like, this happened, this is a fact. Ahsoka said this, it's a fact. No, it's her point of view and it's perspective. So I don't know. I don't even know if the answer to your question, uh, other than I'm exhausted by it. <laughs> it but, does answer my question in, in a colorful grumpy way and uh if there's a word we love more than hubris here on force center it's grumpy uh mm-hmm. yeah i think for me the we just spent a long time talking about the storytelling about how on the surface luke charging through with his green saber you know doing cool force moves uh, does look on the surface uh different from some of the heroic actions he takes in uh the sequel trilogy but the they connect narratively they they connect uh, spiritually. They're, for me, they're all part of this uh, this great debate of when to use your power and, and when to step aside and, and not use your power to influence events around you. So I see it from, from that perspective. I don't see any agenda from the storytelling uh, or the storytellers to say, 
this is the Luke everybody wanted to see, so let's put it in there. It's like, that's who Luke was at that point in time. So that's the first thing with me is just like, uh, the storytelling is the storytelling, and I think it makes sense to the galaxy and the character, and yeah. it works. But then there is this real-world thing where uh, you touched on it of people people in in the the discourse with the quotes tend to sort of not let things be complex of mm-hmm. i as a fan you know absolutely love luke's heroic moment uh in the last jedi i love that he showed being an absolute powerhouse in the force by projecting himself to crate because that was the right thing to do and the most heroic and the noble and he saved uh, the resistance and he saved his sister and he spread hope. Great. I also love seeing him at the height of his power as a, as a young man cutting down evil droids to rescue a child, but that quickly disappears. And, and when you're online, you're like, I'm like, I'm a fan of the Mandalorian. It was a, I really enjoyed it. Then I see people like, yep. And it proves why the last Jedi sucked. You're like, wait, no, I, 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 I'll take that Jersey off then. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, you get even more complex and like, yeah, the last Jedi was uh, right where he was a pacifist on like that garbage rise of Skywalker where he's just throwing and then like, well, no, nope, I got to take that jersey. Like, I don't know. I think what I'm getting to is I just uh, complexity is needed in these discussions and and in when when the conversation can get reduced i think sometimes on on social media to these little bite-sized and and you start to get on teams Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense right you know i'm not team the last jedi i'm not team the rise of skywalker i'm not team the mandalorian i like it all because it all feels honest and it all feels like it connects Mm -hmm. you know and if i if i have a (laughs) a jersey i just wanted to say i like most of it it's complex (laughs) yeah you know you and i are team star wars and and so many people are and, and, but that, but that's part of the, even the, the out of this specific moment, um, I understand it. I understand people not having, not fully liking it or you process it. Cause uh, again, you and I have to, had, uh, had to process some things we love. Some things we go on this podcast and say, man, we love, we didn't immediately get there. Uh, you and I this week uh, and Jennifer Landa coming back for the uh, review, you know, 30 years later, she's like, I have rethought my opinion on Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the experience of being a Star Wars fan. And I just, I just, I don't know. I used to fight it. And sometimes I feel uh, there's some folks out there doing great work of rolling up the sleeves and getting in there to fight. I just don't see the point of it anymore. Uh, You know, I've been in too many bars before the lockdown of uh, being told to my face, oh, you like Rise of Skywalker? Pat me on the head going, you like anything. Um, it didn't connect to the other movies. It was a travesty. It, it, it was a middle finger to Ryan Johnson. I don't have the energy to tell them you're wrong if you engage with it and ask yourselves the questions and ask yourself the why. You love seeing Luke Skywalker in a hallway with a green lightsaber. Why? If you could answer that to me, you've got the discussion. You've got the point in this debate. Life ain't an episode of movie fights, and I've grown tired of that kind of way of discussing Star Wars. And so therefore I'm on an Island. <laughs> um, and this episode inspired a lot of that where I was just confused, Joseph, to your question. I was just confused. I don't know which way is up on which way people want to go with the discussion. So I'll just choose, man, that was a great star Wars. 
<laughs> it was a great Star Wars. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, for me, uh, I think this is a, another good lesson of just don't need to choose sides on a complex bit of storytelling. <laughs> you know, you can you can just have your own nuanced reaction and be be team team nuance, team complexity. Um, so another thing that I want to talk about in the real world impacts is uh, even if we really like Luke's appearance, which you, know, you and I both uh, generally come down on that for this, what do you think the risk is if all Star Wars stories do end up connecting to major characters and plots? This is a challenge for me because I've made the jokes. I'll make it again. Uh, the, those who are like, oh, it makes a galaxy so small. I guess they wanted Wayne's World 3 to be about Ralph Brown's ruddy character. All right. It, this is this is Star Wars. Skywalkers and Palpatines and Solos are they're, they're key because that's the story we're telling. All right. We can all have our Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, uh, Guildenstern uh, Star Wars stories some other time. However, the High Republic coming in and already 100 pages in it. Uh, I'm excited what they're doing. So here's a challenge to me, sir, to myself. Uh, the risk could be uh, the, the, the very lesson that Luke was trying to teach, that we need our legends to tell the story and that uh, we really just need ourselves and the themes and hopes and lessons because Star Wars is us in a way, if I want to get uh, bumper stickery. Um, and that the key we always hear about finding out, the, you know, what is a Star Wars story uh, in a new era or with a new part of the galaxy or, or a new uh, corner of the galaxy. Uh, it's us. It's It's our lessons. That that we take from them, it's it's the hopes and themes that it, it it that speak to us more than the legends themselves, and that's a challenge for me because I want to hear, I want more Luke stories, I want more Leia stories, I want Kenobi and Anakin to have a sit down dinner and figure some stuff out, um, <laughs> and that's part of it. Uh, part of it for me, I'll start there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that. I definitely had a little bit of an emotional roller coaster uh, for myself of the Mandalorian starts as, you know, nameless uh, bounty hunter, you know, far away from everything. And by the end of season two, he is, you know, running into one of the most central and revered characters. There can be this like, uh, but I thought this was the thing that was going to be to the side. Um, but I think that is sort of robbing me of just looking at this story as this story. And did it work for this story? period. And it does work for this story. So I am not going to take any of those anxieties out on the Mandalorian because for this story, it works. Now, if, if the Mandalorian was this lone wolf and cub story where, you know, the child that Din found the first time was in a Thorian who had no idea what the force meant. Yeah. And Luke Skywalker showed up randomly like, okay, well, if you felt wedged in, then I'd have these concerns, but it felt natural to the story. I think you can say, this worked for me because it worked for Mandalorian, but then also for myself in a much more real world way of, I want Star Wars at some point to tell a story that is separated from any major plot development, from any major character, because I think the the galaxy is that vast. And I think that what that first season of The Mandalorian really showed us, and I think parts of season two as well, is if you tell a story that's just about a character really, really needing something, really being conflicted, we don't always need uh, galactic scales. We need a real, uh, I was going to say human story, but a real uh, a sentient being story. Uh, and I think 
that Star Wars is eventually going to start telling some of those kinds of stories on screen. And I think that it'd be good for Star Wars just to kind of say, this is how big the galaxy is, that not everything needs to have galactic stakes. Sometimes it can be very small personal stakes and it still works. I want that story, but I'm not going to be mad at the Mandalorian just because it it turned out not to be that story. Yeah, because here's the thing. The story of Star Wars, it rolls on, it rolls back, it rolls sideways. And and to me, the these all these names and the places and the legends are 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 there. They're in the story. Like we said, we keep you you and I keep going back to Luke at this point in his life is the choice to show up and save Grogu, even though we enjoyed some other potential choices. Uh yours was Quillen Boss. Um, mine was Dexter just showing up because he uh, got wind of something. Uh, you know, I, I know some Jedi. There could have been a lot of different ways to go, but these these characters are there, the names of places, and, they, and to me, they continue to, to show up and they bring lessons with them. Uh, you know, Luke's appearance here feeds what we learned in, in Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, and I always want to be open to going back and, and just reexamining all parts of the Star Wars story while also looking forward to just what you're saying. Uh, something new with uh, smaller ramifications, smaller stakes maybe, but stakes of the heart. Star <laughs> <laughs> Wars, stakes of the heart. It's all not a bad thing. Because again, as uh, Leslie Helen says, uh, uh, it's all Star Wars to her. It's all Star Wars to me. Yeah, yeah, well, well said. And I want to correct myself uh, when I was hearing it come out of my mouth. When I was saying that the Mandalorian isn't this small stake story, I think well, the reason I continue to like the Mandalorian is it is. You know, it, it feels to us like, oh, no, he's suddenly involved in galactic events because he's kind of coming near them. But so far, he hasn't interceded on them. It is still these first two seasons, the small, intimate story yeah. of this this uh, person who thinks he knows who he is, thinks he he can get by on life in it with just this rigid creed. But then he encounters this child that just totally changes his perspective. I think it, it. I think that's why it does work for me is because it still is the story of Din Djarin, this one, you know, lone uh, bounty hunter, this one lone Mandalorian, as he becomes not alone, and it doesn't suddenly become in, in the just because these big characters and these blo- big plot uh, moments and ideas show up. It it didn't ever stop being his show uh, and Grogu's show to me. And that makes a difference. You touched on this, uh, and I w- want to touch on it uh, very briefly. So we talked about why we might not want Luke to show up uh, in future stories <laughs> uh, to, to show that it can be done. What to you is lost in the storytelling if it doesn't stay honest to certain big ideas? Like Luke Skywalker is, right now, in this moment of The Mandalorian, one of the most prominent, powerful Jedi uh, we know to be alive in this era. How would you have felt if it was you know, Quinlan Voss <laughs> uh, and not Luke Skywalker. Would you have felt like that feels not right to the galaxy or, or what were your thoughts there? It's easy to say it right now because it was Luke, but I, yeah, would have felt, well, not cheated, but uh, big questions, which again, you and I say, it's great to even have more questions about storytelling about, wow, wasn't Luke? Well, where the hell was he? Uh, fair question to ask. Ezra, I, you know, I, I love Ezra. I want more of the storytelling. I think we're going to get part of that, uh, the search and the answers. But for me, it's Luke, man. It, it's Luke because the last of the Jedi will you be. That doesn't mean there is another Force users or everything. It's just, but it's, he's the guy right now. So I, I think that's why in the end I was really happy with it. And, and, and that's what you could lose of just like more, 
again, more questions aren't bad, but just more of like, all right, but what is he really doing right now? Five years out. Wouldn't he have heard this call? Wouldn't he have, he wouldn't have he been concerned. Yeah. I think that's the thing for me is, you know, uh, I've seen some tweets and I, the vulture article kind of, uh, starts from this perspective of, um, that it's his franchise choice that like the franchise is, uh, afraid of not being connected to the legacy characters. So they got to do it. And, and I understand having that concern, that fear. Um, I do want some star Wars stories that eventually don't touch those legacy characters. Like I said, but there's also the spirit of it comes from the story of much more spirit of, of course it would be Luke. This is exactly what Luke is doing right now. He is, you know, answering calls for help. He is trying to learn more about the nature of the Jedi. He is trying to pass on what he would learn. So it feels an incredibly pure in the storytelling to me. And it almost in the flip side, it would be almost more cynical to say, we came up with this story about this lone bounty hunter. He encounters this, uh, this young being uh, who is talented in the force, but needs help. We're building this story about their relationship. And we want to get to this climax at the end of season two, where the child goes off with the Jedi. It can't be Luke Skywalker because then people won't like that. It's too connected to the main. We can't do that. For me, it feels more honest to say, no, this is this is our legend. This is our galaxy. This is when that character would show up rather than being having a it, it can't be done. You, here's a list of what we can't do, you know? Look, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. <laughs> if that door opened and someone walks through and goes, hi, I'm Bob Goodlaser and I'm here to expand the galaxy. So it's not that small. Get out of here with that. Get out of <laughs> here with that. Uh, you know, the, it was Luke's place. Um, and even, even something, you know, Quinlan Voss, we keep going back to because we don't know yet. And he's kind of cool. But what, what, what does that get us? Ask the why. And wanting Bob Goodlaser is not a bad thing, but why would you want him here? It's a fair question to ask. And, and maybe you still come down on that side. I just, yeah, that's, that is, uh, that kind of the franchise wanted him here is, not a bad thought. I'm sure that happens. I'm sure there's some corporate uh, meetings of we need it. We need a legend here. This was not one of those moments. The story dictated it plain and simple. Yeah. And I wouldn't, if the story that, that the creators wanted to tell involved Quinlan Voss, if they wanted to tell a story about somebody else who survived order 66, the same way Grogu did. And they had an idea and that great, that's fine. I don't think that's the story they wanted to tell. I think they wanted to tell at least at the end of season two, this story about uh, Din letting Grogu go. Cause it's what's best for him and Grogu choosing uh, to find his path forward. And for that storytelling, Luke Skywalker uh, made perfect sense. And I also just feel like, you know, uh, you and I grew, grew up in, in uh, the 80s. And I think that was a time where uh, growing up, you got introduced to a lot of cynicism because there was a lot of kind of uh, cheap things, cheap storytelling of like, what the, the show's suffering, uh, throw a cute kid on the sitcom. You know, <laughs> we grew up with some of that and I think it has made us cynical. But what's happened, what happened with The Mandalorian is the first season was met with resounding success. So why would a franchise go, oh, no, our show's really successful. (laughs) We better throw Luke Skywalker in there. You know, it just it feels to me, honestly, like it's coming from the storytelling, not from any sort of, you know, 
we 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 need to get get that guy in there for any sort of sweaty panicky reason, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just a couple more questions here. What do you feel like the uh, effect uh, on the other characters in this scene is of of Bo-Katan, Cara Dune, Din Djarin, uh, They see Luke Skywalker in action, and then he just leaves. Uh, in terms of how this makes sense to the storytelling, what impact is just them seeing him? leave on these characters who are about to go off and deal with big situations in the galaxy. I think what well, they're already, the legends already starting to be built. I mean, you know, imagine this, you know, and then he came in and just chopped all these robots down. It was, it was crazy. So that's kind of growing, but in terms of just the reaction uh, after those doors close, I, I think it could be a little bit of, of, uh, of resistance, a little bit of cynicism. Uh, and that maybe that's part of what they have to work through going forward. Imagine if you're Bo-Katan going, yeah, those Jedi, they, they helped and hurt. Uh, maybe they hurt more than they helped. I can tell you what, let me tell you about this guy, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> you know, let me tell you about Maul. Let me tell you, uh, maybe Bo-Katan's like better off. We're better off without him. Maybe Cara Dune's like, that just shows that, you know, me and my fellow foot soldiers were the ones that made this happen. I think a lot of those conversations could happen. I wouldn't mind it. Um, I, I, I don't think that the door closes and they all go, Whoa, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. I have hope. I'm filled with hope. Maybe. Maybe, but I think there's definitely some questions. And, you know, Fennec Shan's like, you know, Boba Fett kept me alive, not this guy. Uh, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I just like that it, that it tells that story of the of Jedi being a little mysterious, that they're definitely real. Some people have definitely seen them. They have done incredible things. But it also just really underlines the sheer power of the Jedi. Again, I just love that this is a story... You know, uh, Fennec Shand as well as all uh, you so rightfully mentioned all these powerful characters in a really impossible situation. And then this mysterious Jedi just breezes through, you know, it really elevates the Jedi to uh, this level of myth. And I think that's valuable to the story going forward as these characters go through and try to figure out all these uh, problems with themselves. And, you know, if Moff Gideon survives and he's involved in the First Order, that, that you know, sort of dark side's fear of the Jedi is, you know, really underlined by a moment like this. And I just think that's, it's cool to see them through the eyes of other people, see Jedi through the eyes of other people in the galaxy and how that that possibility of a Jedi is going to show up and then everything's going to be different because they are so powerful is just a really cool thing to see. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. They're probably the same reaction we do. Whoa. Wow. Wow. Where'd he go? He didn't even ask for help. <laughs> I hope you needed him. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, just the scale of Star Wars storytelling, it, we started with the Mandalorian beginning with this story of, at the time to us, a nameless bounty hunter. If the end of the story does kind of escalate to a uh, galactic scale, galactic stake, he's got that dark saber. If, if the whole show, The Mandalorian, went from cool, nameless bounty hunter, not connected to anything else, to the end of the show is Din Djarin, noble ruler of Mandalore. How would you feel about that? I actually think I'd like it. And we talked a little bit recently about Din sharing some kind of uh, the boy who would be king but doesn't want it energy with Jon Snow, at least in this episode of just, I don't want the dark side. Take it, take it, take it. Uh, him asking the question of who is who, uh, what does it mean to be Mandalorian? And and I'm a foundling, but I was told to not take my mask off. All those kind of things. That's that's a pretty interesting and compelling journey. I don't want to take anything away from Bo Katan and her position. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, 
I don't know. Maybe they come to some agreement on, on how, to, how to rule going forward. Maybe it's something different. But that's a pretty cool, big scale level of storytelling that I could get behind. Yeah. I think, you know, another big theme that that the Jedi get intertwined with, and I think you're so right to bring up with the Luke being a symbol to like, hey, I'm the idea that I'm presenting to everyone in the galaxy is the First Order is not unstoppable. They can you can stand up and push back. You can uh, resist. You know, it really gets this idea of democracy in Star Wars. Uh, I think Star Wars really does advocate that everyone has power. Uh, the Jedi are on another level because they have e- even more power. But everyone in the galaxy has power and agency to make choices. And I think it would be a, a really interesting Star Wars story if you take somebody who is just like, I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to make money for my, my hidden covert of uh, fellow Mandalorians. I have a creed I follow. I have bounty hunter guild rules I follow. And now I have claimed my power to really make choices that are huge in scale and really say, I am going to look at my own power, deal with it and try to use it wisely to help people. Yeah. That's big. That's big stuff. Yeah. It's a big, big, good star Wars story. Final question, Ken, how or where would you like to see Luke in the future? Well, clearly a series with him and Grogu, uh, the, the book of Luke, uh, starring uh, Sebastian Stan as Mark Hamill's voice. I, I think uh, I think we're there. No. <laughs> um, I, I do want some more storytelling. I, I, a, a, a good book might be just enough for me. Uh, I, I don't I don't anticipate him being in a movie and ever. There's just too many logistics and and. You know, a recast, I think we've talked about if it was just beyond this moment, I think a recast would have been necessary. And I'm open to that because I uh, have we talked many times here before. I love Alden Ehrenreich's solo. So I want I definitely want more. I just I just have to be patient. I think we have to be patient and they're going to dole it out uh, when when it's time. You know, they've intentionally, you know, Wendig had to cut stuff out in the aftermath. We've mentioned that before. Uh, This is this was pretty cool, but it's a blip. Battlefront 2, it's a blip. We're not Legends of Luke. The only biggest book we got is Legends of Luke Skywalker, which is literally legends that may or may not be true. We haven't been able to pin him down yet, and uh, I'm looking forward to whenever they're ready to do that. Yeah, yeah. And it's later, a little bit later, but we have the Rise of Kylo Ren comic book as well. It's some great uh, solid oh, Luke Skywalker uh, content when he is uh, older and, uh, and definitely a, a master and definitely a little cocky, uh, which is a fun, a fun read, a great comic by Charles Sewell, Rise of Kylo Ren, which I highly recommend as well. Yeah, I kind of like that Luke in uh, storytelling in our real world is right now a little bit like Luke in the galaxy of He's a mysterious figure who pops up when absolutely needed <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, by the story. I love the uh, Battlefront 2 writers saying, like, we really had to go in and pitch hard and say, we really, we're not just throwing Luke in there because it's cool. We really think he's a part of the story we're trying to tell. Uh, and it, I like that that does seem to be the, like, yeah, Luke Skywalker is a, a powerful, sometimes mysterious legend. And, and even in the real world, Writers and creators really got to make an argument for why he should show up, you know? 100%. That adds to his power. I think uh, for myself, if there's if there was going to be more Luke Skywalker storytelling in this era, of course, I would love to see it someday. And it's always fine with me if it is the right story and if it's a powerful story. There's still something that I'd be interested in if Disney Plus starts experimenting with uh, animated movies. 
that. That seems to me like a, I'd be fine if they want to do a Disney Plus series and, and recast Luke and get into all that. But yeah. um, but there'd be something powerful to me of uh, Mark Hamill is, you know, I think a, a great a voice actor. And it'd be pretty amazing to see a an animated film of uh, of Luke Skywalker wrestling with some of these big ideas that we talk about. Luke Skywalker and young Ben Solo on a on an important adventure. Uh, that would be really, really cool to see in an animated form and be able to enjoy the amazing voice talents of Mark Hamill. Agreed. I love that. Yeah. All right, Ken. That's it. That, that's all. Those are all the questions I have. Just, you know, a, a, an extremely <laughs> thorough examination of Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian. And we hope you all enjoyed it. If you want to find us and follow us and tell us if you enjoyed it or not, you can do so by going to Twitter at Force Center Pod. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook pages, Force Center Podcast, a podcast available on Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Uh, merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. Patreon.com slash Force Center is where you can support us directly or go to audibletrial.com slash Force Center or use that 35% off code at Inside Editions. Uh, you can follow me at Ken Napsock or uh, go to KenNapsock.com for the bigger picture of everything I'm uh, doing. And hey, you know what? Uh, for what it's worth, uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year's. That's a great message. I can get behind that one. Uh, if you want to find, follow me on Twitter and uh, Instagram, I'm at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can also check out uh, my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for uh, all sorts of other things, comedy, podcast, obsessed, comedy albums. And if you're listening to this on the day that we put it out, I'll be doing an online New Year's Eve show this very evening. As Ken says, Happy New Year from everyone here at Force Center. So for myself, for Ken, for the noble, powerful, mysterious, sometimes flawed Jedi Luke Skywalker, this has been Force Center. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.